and there, there are startups there are mature players there are regulations and policies coming into play you know there is so much happening in the ai space and what we're doing with the ai institute is to really connect across all these different dimensions of ai but from an applied ai lens data artificial intelligence the metaverse crypto and web3 and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live, work and experience the universe. I am your host Ganesh Padmanabhan and this is Stories in AI, a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like AI, its impact on individuals, organizations and the society. You will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners, their personal stories, their best practices and advice to put technology to work. I hope you enjoy this engaging conversations. Now before we begin, a note about our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Experian, whom you may know as the Consumer Credit Bureau, but they are at heart a data company. When you're buying a car or home, sending your kids to college, or borrowing to grow your business, Experian is most likely helping you behind the scenes. They unlock the power of data to make better decisions, get access to financial services, and to prevent crime, unlocking a whole world of opportunities for individuals and organizations. Find out more at experian.com. Welcome back to Stories in AI. Today, I speak with Bina Amanad. Bina is the executive director for Deloitte's AI Institute and also leads Trustworthy AI for Deloitte. Bina is an award-winning senior executive with extensive global experience in AI and digital transformation journeys spanning across e-commerce, finance, marketing, telecom, retail, software, products, services, and industrial domains with companies like HP Enterprise, GE, Thomson Reuters, British Telecom, Bank of America, E-Trade, and a number of Silicon Valley startups. She's also the founder of a nonprofit called Humans for AI. A well-recognized thought leader in the space, she also serves on the board of Cal Poly College of Engineering and has been the board member and advisor for several startups. Bina thrives on envisioning and architecting how data, artificial intelligence, and technology in general can make our world better and easier place for all humans. I had a great conversation and we touched upon many interesting topics from the state of the market with in AI, the, the spread of value creation with AI across multiple industries, how organizations that are leading the charge with AI and technology, what do they do to actually further their journeys in AI? What are the best practices that you can learn from them? We talked about ethics and trust with respect to AI, and we talked about expanding the human opportunity pool with technologies like AI. I had a fascinating time having a great conversation with Bina, and I hope you enjoyed too. Bina, welcome to Stories in AI. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Ganesh. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's sunny Austin, although I must say it's beginning to feel like Seattle this year with all the rain we're getting. Uh, you guys are having a heat wave too, right? Uh, you're feeling yes. Texas? 
Yes, it it is. It was hot, but this week is surprisingly cold again. You know, I actually had to pull out sweater. So I get. I was just thinking the other day something to do with climate change and you know how the seasons are evol- have evolved, like uh, evolving right in front of our eyes. Right in front of our eyes, much sooner than we all expected it to be. Right. So I was supposed to, you know, ironically enough, I was supposed to record a, a climate technologist this morning. And she lives in Netherlands and she texted me this morning saying, hey, there is a lot of flooding. Over 100 people are missing or dead because of the, you know, the, the, the Benelux region is undergoing some unprecedented flooding. So we had to move that, that recording and schedule to another time. But it's, this is unfolding much faster than we all expected. And I'm hoping that at some point all, our, all we technologists can get together, put AI to work harder to solve these problems, right? And uh, so thanks again for taking the time. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for, I know you're, you have a very busy schedule and I'm gonna get right to it, if you're okay. Great, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so Sabina, tell us your personal story. Let's start with that. Tell us how and why you got into AI. So, you know, my personal journey, I would say is a little bit uh, too common. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I studied computer science in um, uh, for my bachelor's and master's. So both undergrad and grad is in computer science. And this was way back in the early 90s and where, you know, AI was one of the subjects we studied, but it was all in theory. We certainly didn't have access to the compute power or data. Right. It was uh, I can't believe in my own lifetime I'm seeing this technology coming real. Uh, so when I started my career, it was more uh, uh, as a programmer, as a software developer, software engineer. Uh, but I always anchored myself on data. And I'll tell you, Ganesh, I certainly didn't plan it out that way. But, you know, I uh, kind of have experience across different industries. Right. I worked in financial services with banks and trading companies. I've worked in industrial companies right from aviation to power and healthcare, and also in high tech companies. Right. I kept myself anchored in data. Uh, so I had the traditional career of starting from database developer to DBA to managing data teams. And then came the phase of BI and data warehousing. So I ran the BI team at E-Trade. And then, you know, uh, uh, as AI started becoming real, as machine learning started taking its own shape and becoming, you know, driving real business value, it was a natural evolution into how do we use big data? How can we get insights from it and drive business value? And that's how I got into AI. And I feel that I've been so fortunate that I see, saw this technology taking shape right in front of my eyes and have been part of that journey. I, I feel grateful that even though I didn't plan my career this way, it's a, a, a career mosaic where I have experience yeah. across all these different industries, which gives me a very unique perspective on how AI is impacting different industries. And now with my role at Deloitte, you know, I get you know front view seat into how this AI is shaping different industries and really look ahead into the future not only from the value creation, but also how could this go wrong and how, how do we actually make it successful for everybody and address some of the challenges that's core to humanity's survival. You just like you were saying earlier, how do we get AI to work to solve for climate change? 
You know, it's fascinating. I mean, you, you, and I can't wait to dig into all of that. And, but you still had the foresight to actually pretty much bet your career on data, right? In terms of saying, look, computation and data are so fundamental and it's going to evolve over time, over decades and, you know, hundreds of years, centuries, if you will. And having and building that foundation is, is pretty amazing. So you did have the foresight to do that. So let's start with, tell us a little bit about your role at Deloitte and, as the executive director for the AI Institute, what does the Institute do? Um, you, you just give us a little brief and send also color on a little bit of color on what your typical day is like. Oh, yeah. Uh, there is no typical day, Ganesh. I can tell you that the only typical part of it is sitting on Zoom calls and doing great, amazing uh, interesting work. So what I do at Deloitte AI Institute, really the Deloitte AI Institute was set up with the vision of something that I struggled with when I was leading AI at these large companies, right? The AI ecosystem is very robust. It's, you know, mm -hmm. continuously evolving, right? It's not, you know, it, the research phase is not yet over while the technology is already being used in real world. And there, there are startups, there are mature AI pro players, there are regulations and policies coming into play. You know, there is so much happening in the AI space. And what we're doing with the AI Institute is to really connect across all these different dimensions of AI, but from an applied AI lens, meaning that, you know, how can this, uh, how are, say, financial services companies using AI, what are the top applications? What are the best practices? What are the risks that they're facing? So being able to look at AI from a very applied perspective is what we do with Deloitte AI Institute. We also look at more of the fuzzy areas around ethics and how do you get more diversity and inclusion in AI? So there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of, um, you know, different factors that go into succeeding and with scaling AI in enterprises. And Deloitte AI Institute is positioned to become that stop to get all the information you need from an applied AI lens. I also focus on our AI ethics perspective because, mm -hmm. as I said, that's that's been you know at the forefront of what I've been thinking of in the past few years is really the risks involved with AI. And maybe Ganesh, I'll give you this perspective, you know, uh, on how I think about where we are with AI today, right? If you think about where we are with AI, there, there are three parallel streams, so to speak. One is the core AI research, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's the next wave of deep learning or neural net, facial recognition, these technologies are still being researched and still being developed in academia or research groups. That's one stream that's accelerating at its pace. Then there's a second stream where this technology, which is still being developed, is being used in the real world because you can see business value that is that you can get even from this not so fully mature technology. So there is value that companies are getting today by using a technology that's still being developed. That's the second stream. And then the third stream is really, you know, it, the second stream focuses on value, but what are the negative implications, right? Where things like uh, ethics and policy and regulations come into play, right? Whether it's the impact to an individual's health or uh, challenges with uh, manipulating data, right? There is a third stream, which is really looking at what are the negative impacts of this technology, which is accelerating at its own pace. So mm -hmm. if you think about it at this high level, you know, 
you know, the crude analogy that I give is like, we're still developing the car engine. It is still in development. We're still fine tuning it. And we've already put an auto body around it and are driving that car because it is still getting us faster from point A to point B. But in the third street, we don't have the speed limits defined. We don't have the, you know, the road structured to, you know, speed up with this technology. So each one of this is still evolving. And so for me, it's just fascinating to see how it's shaping out and how do we really, you know, not only talk about value creation with the technology, but what are the ways it could go wrong and put in the guardrails ahead of time? So that's the that's the focus around AI ethics and trustworthy AI, which is an area I focus on as well at Deloitte. That's, so, that's so sure. you know, a typical day goes right from whether it is talking to AI startups or looking at what's outgoing on in AI research and how it can how it's applicable in the real world to looking at you know the ethical aspects on you know, what kind of teams do we need? How, what does an ethicist role look like, right? It is, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a really a, an interesting time to be in a role like this where I get this preview across all the industries and, you know, be part of this rich AI ecosystem. No, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I'm jealous. And, and I, like you said, it just, if you really think about it, the whole aspect that it's such a dynamic environment with all these mm-hmm. things, there's three very well-defined streams of work happening, research where you're trying to create new ways of doing things. And then there is the practical or the applied AI space wherein you're trying to generate value out of it. And then you always have to start thinking about the risks and the, the impact of what you're doing in the broader spectrum. In many ways, it's like the whole notion of machine learning itself, right? Wherein you have, you know, it's never done. You can't really, like in traditional yeah. software, you build a product and throw out. In machine learning, it's an iterative science. And it's it's fascinating that you say that, like, you know, even the industry itself is, uh, in effect, a reflection of what the science, that what kind of science we're actually dealing with here, right? So uh, pretty fascinating. And thanks for laying that out and we're, uh, AI is today. So let me let me go a little bit deeper on that and ask you, uh, what is real in AI? What is hype and what is science fiction today? So you yeah. go, go a level deeper. Deeper. Yes. So you know, look, AI is driving real value in businesses, but it is nowhere close to where it is taking over enter entire businesses and running on its own, True. right? Uh, so we we did a, we do this annual survey and we're in, actually in the midst of our fourth uh, survey right now where we are looking at state of AI and we saw uh, you know companies are using AI and they fall in three different categories. Uh, the first category is really where they're just beginning to think about AI and you know how does it fit in doing a few POCs. Uh, and very early in their journey. And then the last one is where companies have AI embedded in, you know, have a number of uh, AI solutions in production and, um, you know, are more on that mature side. But the largest group is in the middle where they are still doing POCs and they have a few AI solutions in production. Uh, what we're seeing, Ganesh, is really, you know, where the real world is, you know, you're seeing the narrow applications of AI, right, where you mm-hmm. can do 
basic automation, basic, uh, you know, uh, do, using leveraging machine learning and AI, whether it is to developing a chatbot to drive better customer engagement, right? It is just fitting into existing processes. What I, what is not real is AGI or the hyper on robots taking over the world. I think we are still very far from it. And the reason I say it, I honestly don't think that if you look at that first stream where research is happening, I don't think we have the models or the technology ready today to do any kind of artificial general intelligence, right? And an example that I give, which is more, you know, uh, more real world, right? Like you and I talking here today, or if it's two people talking today, that you know, there is some AI enabling us to do this conversation, which could do potentially real-time translation, but th that's about it. It does a very narrow, specific job. So anything within an organization which can be done with less than 30 seconds of your brain power will be automated and is automated today. And we, we are looking at where, you know, how do you expand out from that 30 second brain power to, you know, how do you automate more and more of the five minute work, right? So that that's the, the best way that I would describe where we are with AI today. No, it's fascinating. Like you're, you're so right. I think uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a chicken and egg problem or it's like um, you had Hollywood def uh, pretty much defining the narrative for AI in the industry which helped two things, right? One, it is spreading fear on one end and people are thinking, you know, Skynet and robots taking over kind of creates that doomsday scenario in people's minds when they think of AI. But on the other hand, it also popularized and made it cool to actually for scientists and researchers to get more and into AI and say, how do I really apply this technology to create a digital human, right? Or, you know, the AGI con conversation, it's the moonshot of AI, right? The yes. true artificial general intelligence and just like the moonshot i mean you can't go to the moon to do grocery shopping but the fact that you actually went to the moon created a wave of innovation that allowed so many other practical applications across multiple industries right i mean that's the power of agi or the focus on agi so uh you know but you're you're exactly what i'm hearing and i'm seeing too right which is uh the 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 level of knowledge work that can be automated is still fairly limited and it's very narrow, right? And, and it's the, the goal is we actually improve that and move that in the notion of how do you augment the human being so you make their life a lot more richer, right? You make it more fulfilling for them to do the things they love and it's more innately human and so forth. Fascinating to get your perspective on this. So on the, on the industrial industry impacts as well, right? What industry is actually seeing more impact versus the other? Yeah. In AI, in general, we do see that the large and the big tech organizations are obviously getting lopsided benefits. They started first, they could hire more people, they have more data, but the other industries are kind of catching up. Give us a color of that. Where do you see across the industry what's working? Where is it adopted more versus not? Yeah, I think uh, where we're seeing uh, most traction and naturally so is where, you know, traditionally there has been a lot of data already captured, right? So, uh, uh, so banking, financial industries, uh, and also, you know, life sciences and healthcare more on the pharma side where there has been a need for data and it was captured, it was structured, it was ready for AI to become real. 
where we're not seeing as much traction is obviously, you know, uh, say manufacturing companies or industrial companies where there was no need to capture that data, right? There was no incentive to capture that data beyond just for transactional purposes, right? Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example from my own experience. You know, what I've seen is, um, say, for an industry like um, aviation, right? You, uh, you know, when we started looking at doing predictive maintenance on jet engines, you start looking at the engine data and it is, you know, just what's on, on, on that black box, really small amount of data. And it was, you know, at uh, this at that time, you know, for engineer uh, for engines manufactured a few decades ago, it was like thirty to forty sensors captured during three points in any flight, right? Once during takeoff, once during launch, and once during landing, right? That, yeah. that was it. And once you know AI started becoming real, and we started seeing, you know, you have to go back to the design to embed additional sensors in the engine to capture the data that's needed for AI. So, you know, I think we, we are seeing where there hasn't been a traditionally a data need. They, they are obviously lagging a little bit, but they play catch up. There are new engines coming up in this specific case. And also the need to tie in with uh, existing legacy data sets, right? You, you know, as well as I do that, you know, AI is not just about big data. You need that small data sets, right? For the yep. predictive maintenance of an engine. You need those service records and service records when you start looking at it they exist but it is handwritten on a piece of paper which is how it's always been done right so you're it's not so much about ai at that point it's about data cleansing getting all those service records digitized which is a whole exercise on its own and uh, you know so i think we get lost a little bit sometimes on just focusing on big data but when you look at this traditional industries there there is a you know there's a lot of opportunity but there's a lot of foundational work that needs to be done and um, and that that's what we are seeing happening in the real world as well right uh, when you look at um, something like service records you realize you know it's about changing the way the technician does the work or captures information so that means you need to you know digitize the entire process and operations it's not just about even digitizing existing records but how do you get future records and what additional data points do you need to capture from the service record that was not there in the earlier form so there's a lot, I think, Ganesh, the best way to think about it is industries that have existed, say, 25, 30 years before versus industries that came into existence in the past 25, 30 years, which is primarily where big tech falls in, right? But there are, you know, industries that have existed for centuries and decades before that, which needs a lot of foundational data work to be done to make AI successful. Got it. Give me one second. Give me one second. Um, I don't know whether you saw my son walked in, sneak through, and then went back out. But I'll have to cut this little portion. But thank you for uh, thank thank you for that perspective. I'm back on. So no, thank you for that perspective, Vina. I think that's amazing. It's almost to say that uh, industries, as you said, you summed it up very well. The newer industries, which started with the foundation of collecting and you know a data-first approach, are obviously adopting or being in a position to adopt AI and technologies to power a lot of their uh, transformational journeys. And then the traditional 
historic industries who didn't really have the incentive to collect or look at data before are the ones who, you know, who are who are the laggards here. That also says there's a lot of uh, potential energy latent in there that you can actually leverage, and those are industries that will really. I mean, when you move from just a digital landscape to bridging digital and physical worlds together, now you unlock a whole bunch of value out in the out in the open. Uh, so mm. fascinating. Thank you for that perspective. Um, you know, one of the things uh, I've been really inspired by the work you do is the highlighting the women uh, and the underrepresented minorities efforts and contributions in AI, including your humans for AI work and the Deloitte Institute's report on uh, women in AI. Tell us two things. One is why is there a diversity problem in AI? And two, what is the impact of, you know, not doing anything about it? Yeah, the, the, you know, there is a diversity problem in general in tech and in STEM, uh, uh, you know, and at every level, right? It's not just as the, you know, when you're getting started in your career, but right up to the boardroom, you know, it's a well-established fact that there's a diversity problem. And I've always been a supporter and trying to get more women and uh, underrepresented minorities to be part of technology and STEM. Uh, but, you know, once AI started becoming real, Ganesh, you know, and I was setting up my first data science team and I distinctly remember, you know, I was really, uh, you know, I was in that phase of get, hiring data scientists and data engineers. And I really struggled to find uh, women and especially people of color. You know, it tended to be a very homogenous group. And, you know, sometimes even though I was the leader, I was the only woman at the table. I got to a point where I realized that, you know, uh, with broader tech, it's a problem. But with AI, it is there is more urgency around getting more diversity into AI. And the reason being that we hear a lot about bias in AI, about fairness and ethics. Um, you know, the best way to solve for it is to have a diverse AI team, right? We, we, the challenge is we all are biased, uh, mm -hmm. but that's what makes humans beautiful as well. Like if you and I were exactly the same and, you know, behaved exactly the same, that would make us really boring. Uh, but it's also the human, you know, characteristic, right? It's based on our prior experiences, our educational background, cultural background. There is so much that we, you know, we makes us individualistic. Right. But we don't want those biases to go into the AI systems that we build, no matter how great I think you are. You know, I don't think all your biases should be encoded and scaled out to all of humanity. Right. And vice versa. So, you know, I think the best way to solve for it is by bringing diversity of thought. It just happens. Our gender diversity is the largest gap right now. Right. Women tend to be the largest minority group. And so let's start with getting the gender diversity right in AI. But, but the reason for starting Humans for AI was I was really looking at, you know, what were the organizations focused on getting more diversity into AI? And uh, so that was one data point. The other one I realized is, you know, AI actually provides us a huge opportunity to get more diversity into AI because unlike traditional software, you don't need to be a programmer. Not everybody in a data science team needs to have a PhD in machine learning or AI. You still need designers, you need uh, testers, you need domain experts, 
right? And that's where I think the biggest opportunity we have is, okay, you know, the data scientists themselves can be a homogenous group, but let's surround them with diversity by making sure that uh, the subject matter experts, the product managers, project managers, designers are as diverse as, pro as possible. And in that way, we'll have a robust, diverse AI team. And that's what you know, prompted me to start Humans for AI when I realized that there was a, actually an opportunity we could solve for it and not everybody needed to have that deep technical knowledge to be part of an AI team. So what A Humans for AI does is we, uh, are, we are raising awareness, but we also provide basic AI literacy by partnering with other nonprofits who are focused on providing education to uh, URMs and women's groups. And in that way, we, you know, we can get AI in front of people who otherwise would not. I would love to share a story, you know, for, for a group that we touched recently, Ganesh, which which actually, you know, made got me goosebumps, right? Uh, so this was we started an alliance with uh, UC Berkeley over here, and uh, you know, it is really about, pro, uh, you know, UC Berkeley providing AI, basic AI literacy training to uh, cohorts of women and URMs. And mm -hmm. we were able to partner with a, an organization that um, uh, sub finds and supports human trafficking victims. And you know, most, you know, most human trafficking victims are, um, are victims when they are in middle and high school. And you know, once they're rescued, this organization actually provides them you know, the ability to complete high school and you know, get to college. We got this cohort to come in and learn about AI because you know they definitely use AI, and they were so uh, they were they felt so empowered after that two-day session because you know nobody looks at these the, the, these groups of people who are going to get left behind, right? And to have them sit through these sessions and understand how AI is being used in companies and get that basic understanding of what does machine learning mean? What is NLP? You know, being able to read a news article about AI and understand it, that was very empowering. So I think, you know, what we want to do is really make sure that nobody gets left behind in the AI journey, whether you're part of the AI team or not, even as a consumer, you should be very well educated at on you know what what is ai's capabilities it should not be just people like you and me who have that privilege to be at the forefront with this it should be everybody so it is kind of evolved into solving for a diversity problem but really making sure nobody le gets left behind that's such a such a beautiful story thanks for sharing that bina and it's it's fascinating right the true goal for all of us share this common goal with AI, which is how do you really use AI as a human augmentor then to replace yeah. human, right? And it's like, like my, my favorite analogy is, I don't want Terminators, I want Iron Man, right? Where I am Tony Stark and I put on an iron armor, which is powered by AI and robotics, and I just become a superhuman, right? And to yeah. really share that story where the, the groups that are potentially left behind even given a glimpse of this powerful technology and how it can empower everybody and make, make, you know, inspiring them to take action. I'm hoping a lot of them will get into data science or get into working in AI in this process and stuff too. Uh, that's such a beautiful story you shared. And on top of that, I think AI also provides you that opportunity because AI is unlike other technologies. It is a team sport. You need yes. data, 
algorithms, design, you know, there are so many elements that needs to come together. So unlike Java development, this now is providing you an opportunity to bring a larger group of people together. Um, right. So thank and the biggest, biggest need is in the that um, where you need subject matter experts, whether it is data tagging, right, labeling mm -hmm. that needs to be done for AI, or there is only so much just a pure technical data science team can do in uh, using AI for healthcare products or for education. You know, if you're looking and building an AI product for education, you know, we, as data scientists, we can barely scratch the surface. We can automate the small things. But you need a, an educator involved to really grow AI as well, to think about the next AI product. You need an educator involved. It cannot be done without the educator. So can we make that educator to be as diverse? So that's no, the it's fascinating. No, it's that's it's a huge opportunity. And and I've been, you know, just a, a digression, I've been thinking about this 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 exact problem of, you know, when we talk about human-centered AI and stuff, it's what is becoming increasingly clear is across data, algorithms, software infrastructure, and subject matter expertise, the subject matter expertise is becoming more and more critical in this process, right? And to yes. truly scale the value of AI, that's where you need to focus on. And that's available in an abundance. And that's the, that's the amazing opportunity in front of us. Um, yeah. So fascinating. Um, uh, you touched a little bit upon trust and ethics in AI, right? And yeah. uh, explore that a little bit for me, right? What is ethics in AI? Is it my ethics? Is it your ethics? Is it, you know, one common code of ethics? Yeah. I mean, what is ethics in AI? Yeah, so I tend to put it in that third stream, right, of the, you know, negative consequences of uh, AI, right? Uh, and right now we call it ethics and there's policies and regulations. But for me, ethics is different based on the industry. And even mm. within an industry, you know, based on the sector or the use case, right? So think about like, you know, life sciences and healthcare as a whole, right? And, uh, you know, we when we talk about ethics, you know, a lot of literature that you see out there very quickly and go uh, very fast, rapidly goes down this path of bias and fairness. But the reality is that if you are a manufacturing plant or if you're an industrial company, you know, where you don't have that direct contact with a, a consumer, you know, mm -hmm. fairness and bias may not be as important as something as re reliability of the algorithms or the security of the algorithms. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, you know, I think ethics yeah, is is a very crucial discussion, but it also has to be more nuanced. I've certainly been part of a number of sessions talking about it, and we've uh, developed a framework here at Deloitte that we are working on operationalizing it. Hmm. Excuse me. <coughs> Don't worry about it, take your time to take a sip of water. <laughs> <clears throat> I was trying to uh, keep going. Okay, I'm gonna repeat the last sentence. Please. Uh, so ethics has to be more nuanced than just fairness and bias. I think there are different dimensions to it, right? From uh, who is accountable for an AI system if it goes wrong? Who, you know, is it reliable? Like you uh, briefly touched on the AI solution that you develop and deploy, once it's in the out in the world, it's still learning and evolving, right? That's an implication. Is there a, an implication to human health 
uh, that needs to be addressed, the privacy aspect. So there are different uh, dimensions to the discussion on ethics. And uh, what, what I think is also, it needs to be solved, not at the technology level, right? At the highest level, any company needs to define what does ethics mean for the company? Because it cannot be at a human level because we all have different definitions of you know what should what does ethics mean for us right but at a, as an organization it's important to define upfront what is technology ethics ai ethics principles for the organization and then it needs to be looked at from a technology perspective absolutely on how do you put in the guardrails within the technology embed it within the technology so that your chatbot doesn't go racist for example Right. Sure. Then there is a process aspect to it where, where you are actually putting in control mechanisms, whether it's into your existing processes or new process. Right. For example, you know, we've all done this, you know, project management and agile, the, uh, uh, you know, methodology where we focus on, say, we are building a new AI solution. What's the ROI? In one year, five years, you know, you define that upfront, right? What's the value that you can get? The process change could be as simple as, you know, do a checkpoint on, you know, have the entire team think through what are the ways this could go wrong. Proactively put, add in a simple step and have that discussion on, you know, what are the ways this could go wrong and address it during your engineering process, right? So that's the process and governance aspect of it. And then there's the third one is the people, right? Um, I, uh, you know, we hear a lot about getting in an ethicist or an AI ethics officer, but really ethics should be everybody's job. So, you know, how do you provide through trainings, through learning and development, how do you pro make sure that everybody in the company understands what does AI ethics mean for us? And how do you detect it? How do you uh, uh, make somebody aware? And here's the reason why it should be beyond the engineering department, Ganesh. The reason is that, you know, there, there might be somebody in your supporting function, in your CFO group, an accountant, who is today evaluating AI vendors who have, you know, an AI vendor who has an accounting software solution, right? That person needs to understand what should they be looking at from an ethics perspective in that software evaluation, not just about the functionality of it, right? But how has that, how has the software been developed? How, you know, from a, say, from a privacy perspective, right? To understand, having that basic understanding is important. So education is a, should be a big part of this solution for AI ethics. No, it's it's uh, it's you're 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 laying out a very I would say comprehensive and practical roadmap, right? There's like even in the earlier conversation uh, when we were talking about biases and uh, things with underrepresented folks within the AI development and the um, operational team, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, pointing fingers at data, the data is uh, not right, or the data has bias in it and stuff like that. But it's more than just one thing. It's the entire ecosystem of elements that need to come together to deliver value. And that's where I think this this framework that you laid out to look at ethics across the spectrum is very critical. Now, we're running a little bit out, uh, out of time, but uh, let me bring it home for me, right? What is what is some of some practical 
guidance or advice that you have for organizations who are looking to scale their AI journeys and for those who haven't even started yet, so who are about to start their journeys? Give us some practical recommendations. Yeah, I think uh, for organizations of, uh, you know, starting to think and are very early on in their uh, uh, journey, my advice was, you know, don't make your first hire to be a data scientist. Make it to be uh, somebody from within your organization. Train that person, depending on where you want to bring in AI, make that person AI literate, AI fluent, so that the, you have, you know, start with the business problem you want to solve. And then, you know, focus on bringing in the technology component in. Um, so I, I think starting with business problems is the best way to succeed with AI. Uh, for the companies that are ahead in their journey, I would say, you know, focusing on this third stream that I was talking about, right? The risk, governance, uh, ethical impacts. As you scale out, making sure ethics is embedded not only in your development process, but in, also in your ML ops process, because that software is continuously evolving and changing. So it is time to also think about the risks and address them proactively. Um, you know, you've gotten a lot of value from AI, but also think about how could things go wrong and address it today, as opposed to waiting for when it actually goes wrong and then mediate it. And reacting to it. No, fascinating, Bina. Uh, what is one thing, Bina, you would like everybody in the industry, everybody in AI to be working on to solve right now? Yeah, I really hope, you know, we move uh, beyond just value creation for organizations to also value creation for humanity. Uh, I uh, And I think all the triggers are there and I'm very hopeful that we're going to see more brain power being put into solving for some of the largest problems that we as humanity face, whether it's climate change and sustainability, human trafficking, solving for cancer, you know, solving for poverty and world hunger. There are such big problems in front of us. Now that we've seen AI succeeding in companies, let's Let's come together to solve for some of humanity's largest problems and figure it out. We can do it. No, I, I, you know, well, very well said, Bina. And I think I also think it's an incentive problem, right? We have to structure it in a way that you actually provide the right incentives for more and more innovators and entrepreneurs and companies to go focus on that. Um, yeah. Let me yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say say that you know the, the I'm certainly seeing more of that happening to you know now than ever before and uh, you know whether it is a COVID and pandemic which made us all pause and think or things like climate change which we are dealing with today but you know I, I'm very optimistic about it I think there will be more incentives uh, than ever before that direct us in that path. Absolutely, absolutely. Vina, give me I have some quick rapid fire questions, if you will, right? So give me a story of how you will hope we will be interacting as humans with AI in say 10 years. I used to ask this question in a hundred years and it was too far out and people were like, yeah, we're in space and you know, yeah. uh, in 10 years, how do you see the interaction? I think, um, you know, so for example, this conversation, I'm probably, you know, if you were having it 10 years from now, I would probably be seeing a 3D image of you. It might feel more human. Uh, you might be talking in a completely different language. 
and I might be talking in a completely different language, but you know, without any delay, we will understand each other because AI is doing real-time translation. AI is also nudging us and providing us, you know, uh, additional data points, right? Which we don't have to necessarily keep in our memory, just like we don't remember our phone books anymore, right? It's all, you know, I don't remember even my son's phone number. But, you know, if we had, we would have all the data as the conversation is going on at our fingertips that I could share with you right away, you would have it too. So I think AI truly augmenting us, us to have, you know, conversation in different language, different contexts, and but AI enabling us to communicate better. And this is a very specific example just based on what we're doing right now. No, awesome, awesome. Uh, I have a personal question for you. What is one personal practice that you do that keeps you at the top of your game? Mm, reading. I'm always in the middle of three, three to five different books at a time. And as you can see behind me, I, I, I read real physical books, but you know, it helps me uh, you know, keep, keep track of uh, what I'm reading, but also you know, I'm, I balance it between fictional and non-fictional and inspiring and light. So you know, I'm always in the middle of reading different books and different perspectives. And uh, I think that that really helps me bring uh, a different perspectives to my game. Give me give me a book recommendation. Anything, just fiction. oh my god, there's so many. You know, uh, I mean, depends on what you like. Like you know, I I, I love reading crime fiction and thrillers. I also write, like reading biographies. I just finished reading Satya's book, and I absolutely loved it. It was one of those, uh, you know. Uh, non-fiction books, which usually takes a long time, but I couldn't keep it down. So, you know, Satya Nadella's biography, go read that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I have. And, you know, I was actually, when he launched it, I was there in Seattle in Redmond. There was a, um, a CIO or a CEO event, and I was part of one of the M12 portfolio companies. So I have an autographed copy of the Hit Refresh book from Satya Nadella. So, uh, now, but I'm <laughs> now I'm jealous. Now I'm jealous, Ganesh. That's awesome. Now, thank you for that. How can the viewers and listeners get in touch with you on the internet? So I am on most social media. Uh, if you Google my name, I, I can I, I know that I'm the only Bina Amanat in the world. So you know <laughs> there will not be any duplicate links that you get. So you know connect with me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, I, I would love to engage with your audience. That is awesome, Bina. Thank you so much for taking the time today. This was a fascinating conversation. I really really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one, share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments or ideas for me or my guests. And check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.